want to ask you a question. I want you to participate. You don't have to do much. You just have to raise your hand. Now, here's the question I want to get us started with. How many of you have been to a, a restaurant and had a bad experience? Put your hand up. Everybody put your hand up that's had a bad experience in a restaurant. Now, keep them up. Keep them up. I want you to keep them up. Because here's what I want to ask you. Of all of you that have been to a restaurant and had a bad experience, how many of you, keep your hand up if this is true to you, how many of you have said, I'm never going back to a restaurant again? If that's you, put, keep your hand up. So we've got two people, four people that are five, six, that are never going to another restaurant as long as you live. That's what I mean. Oh, everybody puts their hands down because... Well, we do like a restaurant. Now, let me tell you, in 1977, do you know how long ago that was? I can tell you right off the top of my head. That was 40 years ago. Woo! I was working on a dairy, and, of course, one of the family members said, hey, I'm going into town. They went to a fast food restaurant and picked up burgers, fries, and Cokes. I'm not going to tell you which fast food restaurant it was. It does have golden arches, though. And they brought it back, so we had, at lunchtime, instead of our regular meal, we had burgers. And I ate this burger, and in 15 minutes, I was violently sick. I'm not kidding you. It was the word, one of the words, I mean, it, it left an impression on my mind to where I'm like, unbelievable. I figured out a way how to deal with the problem I was having, and it involved my finger in my throat. You can figure out the rest. I was better after I got rid of what was bothering me, what was bad in my stomach. Now, here's the thing. is I made a promise to myself. I am never going to eat another one of those Rotten Ronnie burgers again in my entire life. I refused to do it. So for 35 years, I didn't have a single McDonald's burger. Refused to have one. That doesn't mean I didn't go there because I really like their fries. Their chicken sandwiches are pretty good. For a while, they had wraps that were delicious. They even had salads for a while. And I indulged in all of those things. And then about five years ago, I made the leap and I ordered a burger from McDonald's. And you know what the good news is? I did not get sick. (laughs) Praise hallelujah, right? So, but here's kind of where we we go with this is because we all have had bad experiences at a restaurant of some kind or another. We've had bad experiences at hotels or the car dealership or with airlines or with auto mechanics. Our kids are going back back to school. And you know what? Sometime in this school year, they will have at least one bad experience at school. It's just going to happen because there are other people involved in their lives. And so we have bad experiences at Christmas time. We have a bad experience on our birthday or our anniversary. We've had bad experiences, guess where else? In church. Right? We've had a bad experience at church. So, you know, the thing is is that Whenever people are involved in the process, whether it's the service industry 
or it's rubbing shoulders with people and there's expectations of what should be happening and those expectations aren't met, there is big disappointment. And when there's big disappointment, we say, I'm never going back there again. And it doesn't matter whether it's a restaurant or a church. We, we kind of set our hearts on that. But the funny thing is, is that bad experiences really don't keep us from going back to similar places. You might have a bad experience with an airline or a, a certain restaurant chain or hotel chain, and you've had enough bad experiences with them where you're saying, I am never going to use them again. But that doesn't mean that you just sleep in your car when you're traveling. You still get a hotel, maybe somewhere else, one that you find that you really like. You find a restaurant that, that serves you well and has really good food, and you know you're not going to be disappointed with what you eat. We have those kind of experiences to where we just go back and enjoy it again. But here's what I have noticed, and I've heard it a lot. There are people who have gone to church and have had a bad experience. Me, let me just... Uh, no, I'm not going to ask you. And it, you know, here's the thing is, is that they have one bad experience and then they make a decision that they will never darken the doorway of a church ever again over one bad experience. And, and then they'll say something like this. I really love Jesus. I just can't stand the church. Or maybe this one is one that they'll say, Jesus and I have an understanding. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read the word. I'll listen to a preacher on podcast. But I am never going to go back into a church again as long as I live because I had a bad experience there. Now, let me tell you, that, that kind of thinking is unbiblical and it goes against the very nature of God because it's like saying this to Jesus. That, you know, uh, you say to Jesus, I'm into Jesus, but I'm not into the church. I'm not into being in community or being connected with other Christ followers. And that's like saying, hey, baby, I'm really into you, and you're the only person I'm ever going to love, and I want to spend the rest of my life kind of with you, baby, but I'm just not that much into marriage or commitment. So let's just be really good friends, and I'll think of you on your birthday and on all the major holidays, but I just can't commit to you, so baby, I'll see you later. <laughs> Amen to that, sister. Now, here's my question. Why is it that the church is the only place where people have a bad experience and they make a lifetime commitment never to go to another church as long as they live over one bad experience? What is it that causes people to want to do that? Now, I think it's a little bit ridiculous that somebody would make that kind of a commitment. But once again, church is kind of a big deal to me. Y'all pay my electric bill. <laughs> so um, let me just kind of, we're going to segue, we're going to kind of weave in and out of that idea of, of being in church, being connected, and that kind of a thing. But let me just share one of the biggest social issues we're currently facing, which t will tie into what we're talking about this morning and people staying away from church. Um, we're going to talk about that aspect, and we're going to talk about the theological uh, precedent for why it's messing up our families, this issue. 
and it messes up relationships in general. And then we'll talk about how to deal with it. So that's kind of where we're going. And here's the problem we're facing. And it's not just a family issue or a community of faith issue, but it's an issue we face in our entire nation. Even though we have 500,000 friends on Facebook, we as individuals have never felt more disconnected at any other time in our life. When a person feels disconnected from other people, they become lonely. And if you were to ask people what the number one personal issue is in their life, most people, if they're going to be honest with you, would tell you that they're lonely. They don't have deep friendships. They don't have great great connectedness with other people. We just don't feel nearly connected to each other as people did a generation ago. These days, you can go and close your, you can drive to your house, open up your your garage door, the door comes open, you drive in, you close it, you don't say anything to your neighbors. Then you're hungry and you're saying, I don't want to cook tonight. So then you get on your phone and you make an order on your phone and it gets delivered to your house. And you slip a $5 bill into the guy that did it. And he says, thanks. And you don't say anything. You might grunt. And you take your order in the house. And then you sit there and eat it. And then you're thinking, you know what? I need some new shoes. And so what do you do? You go online. And you start surfing the web. And all of a sudden, you found the shoes that you really like. And so you purchase them. And you don't ever have to have anybody help you try them on. We are totally disconnected with each other. Matter of fact, pollster George Gallup, known mainly for polls and statistics, recently commented, and this is what he said, Americans are among the loneliest people in the world. He says, as I surveyed Americans, I realized that they are lonely people. In the midst of busy lives, overcommitted schedules, congested cities, we feel alone. We drive on overcrowded freeways, somewhere else other than Wyoming, (laughs) sit in a jam-packed airplane, eat in noisy restaurants, but we still feel lonely. Having access to people is not the issue for most of us. We live and work in a sea of humanity, but we're lonely. We can come to a church like this with 150 other people on a Sunday morning. We can worship with them and go home and feel lonely. Why? It's because we're not connected. Now, in God's original design of creation and the, the creation, creating of humans... We were created to connect with others. After all, we are created in God's image. Therefore, we are his image bearers. And by way of simple reminder, let's go to Genesis 1. We're going to start in Genesis 1 and we're going to end up in Revelation. I'm just kidding, okay? We'll stop at Malachi. Genesis 1, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There's something really kind of cool going on in this passage right here that you can miss it if you're not paying attention. And it's that we have our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, having a conversation with himself. One God, three essence. God's having a conversation with himself. Now, let me tell you something. If you had this conversation with yourself, me, myself, and I, you're going to end up in the psych ward. Just telling you. But because God is God, he does it. He rules everything. And so here's a conversation that he has with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. He's saying something like this. Hey, we've got the perfect gig going on. We have perfect love. We have perfect relationship. We have perfect community. We have perfect connectedness. We are the perfect picture of life, of community, of relationship, of joy and love, of personhood. God has always existed in a connected community. That's who God is. He's connected in community because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they don't need anything else to exist. This might bust your bubble a little bit, but I want to tell you something. God didn't create you because he was lonely. He never gets lonely. He has the perfect connection with the the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Father does. And so he's never lonely. He doesn't need us. He wants us. And that's a huge difference. If you're needed at work, you can be unneeded at work. But if your boss really likes you and wants you around, there's a good reason for that. He wants you. Our Father in heaven wants this relationship with us. He wants to have this. And so the Father says to the Son and the Spirit, let's make man man, and make him perfectly bear all the attributes of our character. So he created Adam and Eve perfectly, and they were connected to God, and they were connected to each other perfectly. There was nothing to interfere with that. Now, here's a really interesting insight that we get about God in this creation story. On the first five days that God created, after he created whatever he was creating in those first five days, he said, it is good. Right? It is good. And then when he created Adam and Eve on the sixth day of creation, mankind, he said, it is very good. You get that? There's a huge difference. I mean, do you want to be good or do you want to be very good? I think in God's eyes, I'm going to take very good over everything else because that's, that says a lot about what he thinks of me. He created me and he said, very good. He created you and he said, very good. He created an elk and he said, mm, good. <laughs> he created a cow and said, good. He created mashed potatoes and gravy and corn on the cob, and he said, good. I say very good, but he said good. <laughs> and so here's the thing is that God, in his creation, 
He says it's good and he says you're very good. But here's where it goes kind of sideways. Because whenever God says something is good or when he says it's very good, Satan, the great enemy of our soul, when he hears God say this is very good, he wants to take what's very good and make it very bad. That's what Satan does. He wants to take the things that God says are good and he wants to put his ugly little spin on it and make it bad or very bad. That's why it's really hard for us at times to look at some people and say, hey, that's the image bearer of Jesus. Sometimes we go like, hey, that's the son of Satan. Because Satan's gotten his little fingers into that pie and he has messed it up in a really bad way. And so what God has said is very good. The devil wants to make very bad. But the opposite is true as well because if you look at, at second of Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says, Then the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone, and I will make a helper fit for him. This is kind of the, the detailed account of, of the creation of man and woman. And God says in that, as he's looking at all the animals that he built partners with, and he looks at Adam and says he doesn't have a partner. He has no one. He's by himself. He says, it is not good that man should be by himself. And so when God says something's not good, guess what the enemy of our soul wants to do? He wants to make it sound like it's a good thing. And so we get this whole idea that if I can isolate myself, if I can make myself just kind of an island unto myself, I don't have to worry about anybody else, that that's a good thing. But that's not what God said. God said that's a bad thing. So here's where we have this whole problem going on. We've got the problem that, that we've got this whole idea in our mind that, that if we connect with people, that's going to be bad. But if we're isolated and by ourselves, that's going to be really good. And we think that maybe that's what God had in mind. But if you read the Bible, it says, no, that's not what I... God says, that's not what I said at all. God said, I want you to be in community because I want you. You are my image bearer. You are made in my image. And I live perfectly in community. I am connected perfectly in community. And I love being in community. I hate... The isolation stuff, because it causes problems, which we'll get to in a little bit. Now, the whole human race, to me, is kind of like a box of Legos. And so here's what we kind of have this morning, is we have, we have Legos, right? Now, Legos are a cool thing. They really are. I mean, you can make stuff. You can, you can do all kinds of crazy stuff with Legos. And you can just kind of snap them together. And it is just, you guys thought I was going to eat this, didn't you? <laughs> that would really mess up my braces. All right. So we know that Lego, by themselves, is just a plastic block. It doesn't do anything. One Lego... Not a, not a little kid's best friend. They're not going to have, here, Junior, you play with this one. Next week, I'll give you another one if you're good. And they're going to go like, what? Right? And so, so the church is like Legos. Our family are like Legos. And I've seen Legos alone, like these ones in here that are just kind of banging around. But Legos, here's the thing about Legos. They are made to connect. Right? 
I mean, you just give a... You, I think every parent that has little kids sitting in church with them should bring a little bag of Legos like this. I mean, you, it doesn't have to have none. You give that to them in church, and that will keep them busy, and they will be happier than a pig in compost. Legos. And that's kind of what it is. We're connecting together with Legos. That's what it is. Some people are like a big box of Legos, though, because that are not connected. But they think they are because they say, I have a relationship. I have a casual but distant relationship with a lot of people. They have a bunch of acquaintances with people that they rub shoulders with. They have more Facebook friends than there are people in Wyoming, but they don't have deep, meaningful, authentic relationships. And the sad thing is, is a lot of us are like a box of Legos. We're not connected to anybody. We just bump around with a bunch of people. We have conversations about a bunch of stuff that really isn't going to make a difference at all in the year that we're living in. In one year, a lot of the conversations we have today will be forgotten because they don't mean anything. They're not connecting us on any level. And then we have dinner parties and summer barbecues with people we know or people we work with. But even when they leave and they go home and we've cleaned up the whole thing and we sit down, we go like, it's kind of lonely. And the reason is, is because we're not connecting. Now, many, many families are like a box of unconnected Legos. The most basic community is the family. And they kind of shake together when they get home from work. And then they shake together when they go to the ball field. And then they shake together when they go to, and, and come to church. But the problem is that they're not connecting in any meaningful way. God designed us to connect He wants us to do more than just simply bump into each other. And the problem is is we kind of like a box of Legos when we come to church because we kind of bounce into each other in church. We bounce into each other back at the coffee bar trying to get that last little donut thing. And then we bounce into each other when we're worshiping each other. It's kind of like a holy mosh pit. We kind of got a little holy bump going in with each other. And 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 then we're bumping into each other trying to be the first one to get something in the offering bag, right? There we go. <laughs> right. It's not right. It's like, right. And, and then what happens is at the end of the service, we bounce out the back door and go on our life as though church meant nothing, did nothing. We're just a bunch of unconnected Legos bouncing around. It doesn't make any sense at all. And yet God, and they're built to connect, and yet God has called us to connect. He wants us to connect. But when we, and when we start to connect with each other the way God has called us to connect, amazing things happen. We come together for a common purpose and for a goal, and God will take us as we're willing to be connected. And you know what he does when, he, when we do that? He creates something that is absolutely amazing if it doesn't fall apart on the way out. I know this goes on here somehow. Ty, can you come put this back together for me? (laughs) All right. So there, we're connected there. And I got to put a Lego thing up here. And that's all made out of Legos. That is an amazing thing. Okay, honestly, you know I didn't make this right. (laughs) Yeah, I couldn't do it. Not gonna happen. <laughs> but 
And that's why I don't play with Legos. Because that would end up in the vacuum. So here's the deal, though. If we come together and, and we allow ourselves to be used by God, God's going to do something amazing with us. And forget that one. And it's, it's amazing. I wish I would have had Legos when I was a kid, but I didn't. I had wood blocks. A stiff breeze came through the door and they would all fall down. So, if we, because we're, we're, we're made, I, you know, I look at this and I think of this as kind of being like the church. Because each one of this is made to connect on there in a specific place to do a specific job. This little foot thing, it's uh, underneath there and it holds the whole thing up with, with the other little foot things under there doing their foot jobs. But that's kind of like the church, right? Because when we're connected together, instead of being a bunch of, of blocks like this that don't do anything, and this is the church. No, this is not what God called for the church. He called for us to be connected. And here we are, when we're connected, we have something that's absolutely amazing. And you like it, and then you crash it, and you get to put it back together again. Now, the great news is that, that in the letter to the Romans, Paul uses a little bit of a different metaphor about connecting. He says in Romans 12, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We are to connect to make up the body. We need each other. Some of you guys are the feet that really get things moving. Some of you are the hands that praise God or serve. Some of you are the voice, the mouth, the eyes, the ears. We have to have all of it in, for the, in order for the body to function the way God wants us to. And it's this desire to connect it. And it all springs from God. Because God, in His perfectness, is connected to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, perfectly connected. And so that's why we want friends. That's why we want family. That's why we look for community to connect with because we're made in the image of God. Living life uncon unconnected does not reflect God. Now, that's why you heard... John talking this morning about our home group, small group ministry. Because you're kind of connected here right now, but your connection here is on the Sunday morning is not going to be very deep. It's going to be kind of, hey, how you doing? Good. Is the coffee hot? Yeah. How are the donuts? Oh, they're a little dry. Is Pastor Ken preaching today? Yeah. Oh, gosh, that means we're going to get out late. Uh, I like it when John preaches because it's like he just says, Hey, how you doing? Let's go home now. I love that about Pastor John. I love it when he preaches. And, and so then we have this kind of this connection that is kind of all on the surface. It's not very deep. And, and so 
we intentionally put small groups together in this church because we know when you step into a small group setting, it's not like you're sitting like this for two hours facing the front. You are actually face-to-face with people. Whoa. I was almost face-to-face with the floor. You're face-to-face with people. You're interacting with them. And so when they say something, you don't just hear the words they're saying. You see what they're saying through their body language. And then all of a sudden, you're reading God's Word together. And you're connecting over that, that passage of Scripture that's going to carry you through the week. Because now you're connected deeply on this passage of Scripture. And you're sharing life over that. And then all of a sudden, you're talking to each other about what life really means, and then you get really honest and vulnerable and transparent, and you open up your life and you say, you know what, I'm having a really crappy week. And they're like, you just said crappy. (laughs) And you go, yeah, it is. It's really bad. Well, what's making it so bad? Well, let me tell you about what's going on with my parents' health. Let me tell you what's going on with my kids. Let me tell you where my heart is right now. I feel like I'm in the desert with God. I feel like my heart is, is drying up, that it, it just needs to be revived. I feel dead. And then in that small group moment, one of the small group members goes, man, thank you for sharing that. And they come, and they wrap their arms around you, and they pray a prayer to our Heavenly Father, And you know that they mean it. Now, I'm not saying that this isn't good. This is good. This is good. This is good. Small groups, very good. Come and get good. Come and get good together. We need, this is is where we come together as a big family. But if you want to connect with God, if you want to connect with your, your fellow sojourners in faith, if you want to do that, you connect in a small group because it's going to take you deeper. And guess what? People are going to learn stuff about you that you don't want them to know. They're going to learn stuff about you that they don't want to know. And you're going to love them just the same because that's what happens when you're connected deeply with one another. We're not only created for relationships. God, God didn't just put us together so that we could connect this way with one another. God also created us to have this deep, connected relationship with Him. Boom, this way. We're connected for a relationship with God, but we're, we're also created for deep, meaningful relationships with each other, with other people. And if you think that this whole life in Christ, being a Christ follower, is just you and Jesus, you are missing a great point. God exists in community, and we are called to exist in community with other people. There is a God-shaped void in you, but there is also a people-shaped void in you. Jesus said that the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor. The greatest commandment is to connect with God in a loving relationship and connect with people in a loving relationship. There are no two options. This is one in the same, and they flow out of each other. So listen to this, because some of you are going like, you know what, I've got enough family, friends. It's not just your family. 
You need to connect beyond that. You need friends. You need brothers and sisters in Christ. And what does the Bible really say about you living in relationships? There are two things that you cannot do by yourself. Two things for sure. You cannot be married by yourself. I'm just waiting for the nut jobs that are going to go to the justice of the peace and go, Hey, Your Honor, I'd like to marry me. <laughs> and he's going to go, Hold on a second. Yeah, hey, we got another one of those guys down here. Can you bring them, take them away? You, you can't be married by yourself. And the other thing is, is that you cannot live in a growing, loving, Christ-centered life by yourself. It's not just you and Jesus. It's you and Jesus and the rest of us together. And that's why, if you go back to what I was talking about at the beginning, people who come into the church and they have one problem that goes on in the church and then they go, I'm out of here, dude. Never coming back. Not going to happen. I don't want any part of this. Me and Jesus, we're good. But his bride, I can't stand her. She stinks. And Jesus is going like, you don't talk about my girl like that. Because you're going to get yourself smacked. God doesn't put up with that. I, I'm just telling you right now, Jesus, you, people think that Jesus is going to put up with the whole notion that you can talk smack about his bride. I'm going to tell you, when I was in, when I, <laughs> I went off to junior high school and my dad had this conversation at this time of the year with us as we're going to school. My dad was a preacher, you know, love your neighbor. He's a, a pacifist kind of preacher. He would pass his fist across your face in a heartbeat. <laughs> so he had this, had this little talk with, with us four boys as we're getting ready to go out the door for school. I'm telling you right now, there will be no fighting. You will never fight at school because if you fight at school, you're going to get in trouble at school. And the trouble you get in school is going to feel like a picnic when you get home. Rule number one, no fighting. But... There is always a but. But if somebody says something bad about your mother or your sister, you have my permission to sock them right in the mouth. Okay. I didn't really know what that meant. Until some kid called my mom a lying blah, 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 blah. And I went like, hey, that's probably one of those things where I should sock this guy in the mouth. So I did. I lit him up. Of course, it's kind of like I had to step on a stool to get up to him. Come here for a minute get off the stool, get taken to the principal's office, and I'm sitting in the principal's office, and the principal's going, he's looking at me, and he's going like, okay, this just, you're not, it's not you, you know, and, and so uh, he called my dad. My dad had to travel 35 miles. My dad walks in, he goes, that don't make sense. You're like the smallest one in the family, and you're the one that's popping somebody in the mouth. So, you know, and then all of a sudden my dad just looks at him and goes, what's the deal? I said, this guy right here, I can't tell you what he said about mom, but it was nasty. And my dad went, oh, okay. And he looked at the principal and he goes, my fault. I told him if anybody said anything nasty about his mom or his sister, he was supposed to smack him in the mouth. And so he did. So that's, I kind of have to own this one. And the principal goes like, oh, why didn't you tell me that? And I said, because you didn't ask me. I was just in trouble for smacking him. 
And the principal told me, he says, you can go. See you later. Sorry, George, for having you come all this way. And my dad said, that's right. I go into town. And then he looked at the other kid, and he goes, now you're going to get it. And that's back in the days when you could beat them and make them bloody and send them home. And the parent would go, like, did you get in trouble again at school? <laughs> and it was okay, right? So um, I don't even know how I got there. But that was a good story. I really like it. All right, here's the thing. The soul cannot prosper without being um, in a meaningful, connected relationship with God and with others. So um, if you can give me like seven minutes, I'm going to run through some stuff really quick here. Because if you are not connected, there are some things that are going to happen that could be devastating to you. First of all, If you're not connected in the body of Christ with other Christ followers, you become spiritually vulnerable. You make yourself open to to the enemy's attacks. The Bible tells us that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking someone whom he may devour. Have you ever watched Nat Geo? Where they're filming this lion that's out trotting along looking for something to eat. He's not going after a big old herd of something or other. He's looking for that one dumb one that's going like, hey, I don't like those guys. They stink. I'm going to run by myself. And the next thing you know, he's got a lion on his backside with teeth. And he's dragging him down, and he's dead. He's gone. That's because he didn't stay in the pack. God gives us all these great pictures of what it means to be in community because he created everything in herds and packs and all the rest of that stuff. Flocks, right? I mean, it's just like, hey, how come they do that and we don't? God put that in them. He's going like, these people aren't going to be that smart. They're going to forget all about this. So let's put a, 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 you know, a herd of elk together. So when they go hunting them, they have to, well, they don't get it still. They still don't get it. That's what God's doing. And he's going like, come on. And so what happens is we become vulnerable when we isolate ourselves. And there's a lot of people who have come into this, even in this church and a lot of other churches, and they'll come in for a season where they're participating in worship, but they never get plugged in like in a small group. And because they're not plugged in and connected deeper, what they do is they come in and they find a place to sit that they think this is going to be my spot. And so it becomes their place where they sit. And if you happen to sit in their spot, they come and they stand like this and look at you. (laughs) And you look up and go, hi, how are you? You're in my spot. Oh. And then what they do is they sit in that spot And they wait for the whole church to come over and to shake their hand and to kiss their babies. And then when the whole church goes like, hey, we got other people we're going to mix with and we're going to mingle and do all the rest of this stuff, their feelers get hurt. And what do we call that? A bad experience. And they leave. And if you ask them, how come? Why did you leave church? Because this church doesn't love me. They don't care about me. They don't care about me. They don't care about my wife. They don't care about my kids. What do you mean? Well, we sat there week after week after week. For months, for a year, we sat in the same spot. Nobody ever came and said hi. Oh. Okay. Psalm 133.1 says, 
how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. You can't live together in unity if you're by yourself. It's like the bumper sticker that said, Individualists of America, unite! <laughs> the second thing is, is that what happens when we, when we don't step into making connections and, and we're intentional about connecting with other people is we grow into this fear. We create a fear of intimacy with other people. Because what we don't, we go like, I don't really want to get to know other people because if they get to know who I am, they're not going to, they believe the lie that the enemy has told them that people don't like you. I mean, you guys like me, right? Yeah, so if you like me, you'll like anybody. But what happens is we get, we hear the voice in our head and it talks about people aren't going to like you. You have nothing to offer. You are worthless. You, you stink. You know, all the rest of that stuff. And you're like, okay, I start to believe it. And so we, we have this fear of becoming intimate with other people, of revealing who we really are. And it drives us away. The next one is selfishness. When we're not connected to other people, we're not serving other people. And when you're not serving other people, you're only serving one person. And that one person that you're serving is yourself. And then pretty soon you expect everybody else to serve you. But, but that's not the model that Jesus gave. Jesus says if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you have to be last. If you want to be served, you have to learn how to become the servant of all. That's what Jesus taught. That's what Jesus said, and that's the model he gave to us for us to live. And so he wants us to step out and not be selfish, but to serve other people. The people that are selfish have never connected with others because they can't see the needs of serving other people. And then kind of the fourth one that I have here is is poor health. When you isolate yourself from other people, the studies show that people who um, had poor health and bad habits in eating, and just weren't healthy people. But because they had such great connections with other people, and they interacted with a lot of other people, their life expectancy took them beyond what it should have been with bad habits. And then it showed, and then that same, same study showed that people who were really healthy, kind of nut jobs, they would go, you know, they'd get up at like 5 o'clock in the morning, and go to the gym and work out for an hour, and then they'd come home and eat, Oatmeal or something really healthy like that instead of a, a cinnamon roll. And, and then they'd eat like greens for lunch. And then they'd eat, um, I don't know, some hippie food for dinner. <laughs> but they had no friends even though they had a really healthy lifestyle and they weren't connected with people. Their life expectancy was cut shorter. It's a health issue. So, you know, here's the crazy thing. What's the worst punishment you can get in prison? Solitary confinement. Even our governments recognize that being put away by yourself, no one to talk to, is the worst punishment that there could be. And believe me, you know where they got that idea from? The Bible. Because the Bible tells us that hell is solitary confinement away from everybody and God. 
All right, so, you know, I could stop right there and leave you on a happy note. <laughs> but maybe I should give you something that you're going like, I'm glad I came to church instead of, oh, gosh, solitary. I'm an isolationist. It's like hell. All right. I just said that because I wanted to say hell again. All right. The Bible says that being spiritually connected means this. It means that you are built like a building. That's what it says in Ephesians 2.22. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We are a dwelling place for God as a connected together. We're called to come together, a royal priesthood, living stones being stacked on top of each other, being built together so that we become a building for God to dwell. He dwells in us, not this building, this, the ecclesia, the body of Christ. That's what we're being built into. In 1 Timothy 3, it says that we are born into a family. You may not know how you ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of truth. This is one of my favorite metaphors for the church. It doesn't take a lot of explanation. Most people think that being in Christ is a belief system. That's not true. There are belief systems when you're following Christ, and they are important, but it's so much more than that. Following Christ is a belonging system. You belong to each other. I just love this whole metaphor of the family because what does John say to us every, every morning? He says, hey, welcome. Glad you've come. If you're a first-time guest with us, Welcome, we're glad you're here, but if you come back next week, you're no longer a guest, you're... Welcome to the family. What does he call this? The living room, because that's where the family gathers. We sometimes change the living room into the dining room, which we're going to do, and we put tables out here, because families do what? Families that eat together do what? That's right. And so we're part of God's family. Bigger picture, we're a a family. That's the picture of the church that we have for us. The the other one that uh, that Jesus talks about in John chapter 15, he says that we're attached to the vine. He says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. You cannot bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now look, this, this branch thing, it's this huge picture of a a grape uh, vine, and the branches are connected. What happens when a branch gets disconnected from the vine? It dies, it withers up, it turns brown, and it gets tossed onto the burn pile, it gets lit up, and it does nothing but become embers in this night sky. That's all that happens when you get disconnected. You are no longer connected to the branch because when you're connected to the branch, the vine, if the branch is connected to the vine, then what happens is that you start to produce fruit. And you can produce fruit, but you don't produce very much fruit by yourself. And so that's why we're all connected to this vine called Jesus, because we're the branches. And as we all come together and we produce fruit, we have this harvest now that is unbelievable. And then what God does, I love this part, he takes and he squishes us all together and makes the best wine ever. You have to remain in him. And then lastly, Galatians 
says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill, so fulfill the law of Christ. And when we fulfill the law, of, you cannot bear somebody else's burden if you don't know them. If you're not connected to them, you cannot share the burden. Unless your name is John Ekman. He just walks into a restaurant and some guy walks up to him and goes, hey, you know what? I'm having a really bad life right now. My wife has cancers and my kids ran away. My dog died last week. And John's going like, hi, I'm John. Who are you? He just attracts people. They just tell him their stories all the time. He doesn't even know them. It's amazing. It's like there's a little bit of Jesus poking out of him that says, come and tell me your bad stuff because I'm going to pray for you. But we can't carry one another's burdens if we don't know one another. That's the whole point behind it is that you have to be connected. Now listen, we're going to be intentional about connecting you with each other. We're going to be intentional about connecting you with Jesus. Because when you're connected to Jesus and when you're connected to each other, your life will be transformed. And when your life is transformed, it is going to be a witness to people who have known you for a long time. And all of a sudden they're going like, what is going on? Your life is so different than it used to be. Tell me what's going on. And you just go like, I'm connected. I am connected. I'm connected to a great God who says I'm very good and says I shouldn't live in isolation. And I'm connected to a group of other people that have the same purpose, the same thing. They want to grow in their relationship with God. They want to know what it looks like and what it means. And that's what it means to be connected. Now, here's what what I want you to get out of this today. Love is the thing that binds us all together. It's what makes being connected worth while and yet the reality is, is that we will have a bad experience at church at some time or another but as peter says in his his letter his first letter and it's not on the slide it says most important of all continue to show deep love for each lo- for each other for love covers a multitude of sins we are connected through jesus by the holy spirit and we are all in this thing called church together For better or for worse. Amen? Amen. All right. I'm going to pray for you. But what I want you to do when we come and we start to sing these next songs, because these songs are going to do one of, they're going to do two things. It's going to call for you to get connected this way. But it's not calling you to neglect being connected this way. So while you're singing this way, figure out how you're going to connect this way. Father, we thank you that you were the original creator and designer of connectedness. And somebody saw that in your design and they created Legos. What a great metaphor it is for us to understand that we're not just a bunch of loose Legos laying around, but that when we are connected together, we can make something magnificent, something absolutely outstanding. And we thank you, God, that you've called us, that you've given us examples of it, that your very nature is being in community and connected. And so we pray that we would be people who want to follow your lead and live by the example you've given to us so that we'll be connected to each other and thus show the glory of God to people who are unconnected and hurting and looking for a place to believe and belong. Come and work in us, work on us, work through us, but continue to connect us through your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' great name. Amen.